All right, guys, what's up? It is Scott, and welcome to the Ardella Training Podcast, where we bridge the gaps in strength, performance, and injury prevention, and that is what we will attempt to do this week. Uh, I'm your host, Scott Ardella. Welcome to episode number 216. In this week's episode, you're going to hear from Danny and Al Cavadlo, where you will learn about calisthenics training from two of the world-leading authorities on this topic. Now, Danny was a past guest on the show, and this time he is joined by his brother, Al, who joins the conversation. And we discuss calisthenic training and some of their latest work. And quite honestly, if you know me, you know that my passion is around barbell and kettlebell training. And we probably don't discuss calisthenics enough here on the show, yet it is something that I'm asked a lot about and have requests for this topic here on the show. So that's what we're going to do. You're going to learn why these guys are so passionate and focused on calisthenic training. You're going to hear about specific considerations to progress and advance with calisthenics. You'll learn why their new book, Get Strong, is different from anything else that they've already done and how this fits into their body of work. Now, again, calisthenics or bodyweight training is an excellent way to train for strength, performance, and keep injury-free. As a matter of fact, we talk about that injury-free component when we talk about the healing uh, powers of calisthenics training. So we touch on that subject and a lot more in this session. So guys, we're going to get right into it this week. Uh, Make sure to check out this episode online at ardellatraining.com forward slash RT216. I think you'll really enjoy this interview, get a lot out of it. And Danny and Al have authored several books, including Strength Rules, CMAS, Pushing the Limits, and so many others. And you will hear and learn about their latest work, Get Strong, in the session. So let's do it. Let's jump into the interview, and I will come back at the end of the session and wrap things up very quickly for episode 216. So enjoy the interview, and I'll talk to you at the end. All right, guys, joining me today on the show are the Cavadlo brothers, both Danny and Al are my guests this week. And as you probably know, they are world-leading authorities in the area of calisthenics and have authored several of the top books on this topic, teaching training concepts to all walks of life. Guys, I'm really excited to have you both joining me on the show. And Danny, welcome back. I know we did an interview some time ago when you had another book out, and now you guys have another book to add to all of your your great resources out there for people. So I'm excited to, to learn about it in the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having us. And yeah, I was on the show about a year and a half ago when Strength Rules came out. But this book that we're talking about today, Get Strong, that both Al and I have co-authored together. This is some brand new stuff that we're really excited to talk about. It's great talking to you again, and we're really excited to get going. Well, very cool, man. Let's uh, let's jump right into the questions. And before we do talk about the book, I wanted to ask uh, a little bit around kind of your, your backstory. And my big kind of opening question is, and I want to ask this for each of you. So the question is, why calisthenics? What what was the hook with with bodyweight training and calisthenics specifically? And how did each of you become experts in this area? Well, what I'll say on that regard is why calisthenics? And the truth is that there are a lot of great modalities of training. Weight training is great. Calisthenics is great. There are many, many paths that one could take towards fitness. 
What appeals to me about calisthenics is just the bare minimalism of it. I'm pretty minimalistic in my life. I don't own a lot of shoes. I don't own a lot of fancy items. I don't own a lot of gadgets. And what I love about calisthenics is that it's not equipment heavy. It doesn't matter if you have the latest cutting edge piece of gear because there's a certain purity to just using yourself, your environment, and your own body to get in fierce, amazing, fantastic fit shape. And I just really love the simplicity of it. I feel like when you take things and you really strip them down, then you're really, really able to explore how far you can go. Yeah, absolutely. Al, what about for you? Is your, would your answer be any different? I agree with everything Danny said, but to add to that, for me personally, you know, I've done a lot of different modalities over the years. And, uh, you know, I started with calisthenics. Push-ups and pull-ups were the first exercises that I did. And then from there, I started exploring weight training and other types of strength training. And it was kind of a, a gradual process of coming full circle back to calisthenics. It was as I discovered new calisthenics exercises that appealed to me, I started cutting other things out of my program to make time for them. So when I wanted to learn how to do a handstand, for example... Well, I cut out overhead pressing because it kind of was able, I was able to replace that with handstand practice. And when I discovered pistol squats, those kind of took over a lot of the weighted leg exercises I was doing. And gradually over the course of a few years, before I knew it, I was only doing body weight. So it wasn't so much an overt decision that I'm only going to do this stuff. It was just kind of how things played out. And then I embraced that. Let me ask you this. Now, do you guys do 100% calisthenic training or do you integrate other tools? And I guess let me ask that question about, uh, you know, where you are today. So today, are you using other tools or is it 100% uh, calisthenic based? Well, I, I would say I'm 99.9% calisthenics based. <laughs> right. So occasionally I'm, I'm at a gym or in some other context where there's something going on and I jump in on the fun. But at this point in my career, you know, there's, there's so much to do and explore within the realm of calisthenics that I don't want to spread myself too thin. This is what I've devoted myself to. This is what I've built my reputation on. So it's what I'm going to spend most of my time doing. Got it. Yeah. I would have to say I'm in that same percentage. What was it? 99.9. <laughs> what I do is I train calisthenics. Does that mean I'll never pick up a weight if I'm in the gym and I'm hanging out with my homies and they're deadlifting? I'll grab the bar. Maybe I'll pull it up off the ground. But as far as my own programming and my own training goes, there's so much that I want to continue to work on in calisthenics. There's so much that I want to continue to explore and improve out within the body weight realm that this is just what I'm focused on right now. So this is kind of along the lines of one of my questions, what you were saying as far as you want to improve. So how do you guys advance? Because you're already very advanced in what you do uh, from a bodyweight training standpoint. So what would be something specific that maybe each of you are working on right now to, to get better? Well, you know, Scott, something that Danny and I talk about a lot in the certification that we do, the progressive calisthenics certification is what we call technical progression. Okay. So you might look at something like a handstand and say, okay, well, this person could do a handstand. What do they do to get better at it? Well, do a better handstand. Work on getting your alignment straighter. 
Something like a muscle-up. Okay, well, once you could do a muscle-up, what can you do? Do a better muscle-up. Do it without bending your knees. Do it without moving your hips. Do it slower. Do it with more control. So a lot of what I'm focused on right now is continuing to refine the skills that are already within my skill set. How do you measure progress for yourself, if you don't mind me asking? I mean, so is it more subjective as far as, you know... If it absolutely is. Okay. You know, on, on a... When you're doing weight training, it's very easy to numerically assess that you're getting stronger because if your lifts are going up, right. assuming that you're not gaining weight along with them, <laughs> that means that you're getting stronger. On body weight, excuse me, <clears throat> you don't have the ability to adjust the load as easily as you can with a barbell. So it can be a little more tricky to quantify. But like I said, technical progression is one way that you can monitor it. Sometimes I look at a video of myself from a few years ago and it's like, okay, cool, I can do this move a lot cleaner with a lot more control now. And other times it's about moving on to a, a more difficult exercise entirely. So for example, you know, after you've gotten proficient at pull-ups, you can start all over again with muscle-ups and uh, it gives you a whole new challenge. To add on to that, if you're talking about using external resistance, the movement pattern that you're doing remains the same. If I'm doing a bench press and I'm a beginner, maybe I'm working with the light weight, maybe I'm bench pressing 95 pounds. And as I get more comfortable doing that same movement pattern, maybe it's going up to 135 or 185 or 225 or whatever, but the movement pattern remains the same. However, if I want to progress in calisthenics, because I can't change the load as easily as putting more external resistance onto the barbell, the resistance remains the same. It's my own body weight. What I have to do is alter the exercise slightly rather than doing the same exercise with a different resistance. I'm using the same resistance, my body, and changing the exercise going from a push-up to maybe a push-up with my feet on an elevated surface, to maybe an assisted one-arm push-up, to a one-arm push-up, to a one-arm push-up with my feet on an elevated surface. So that's really the key difference in progression. And like Al said, it is not as easy to quantify as adding another plate to a bar or moving a pin down on mm -hmm. a weight stack on a slide track. But it can absolutely be adjusted to work within your progressive fitness level. Do you guys coach each other or do you self-assess and correct yourself as you're training? There's a saying that I really like. <laughs> Everybody needs training, yeah. even me. Yeah. And I just had, just to draw from a recent example, I did a workout a few weeks ago where I was fortunate enough to meet up with Al at the park. And contrary to what people think, we don't just hang out at the park doing pull-ups all day. <laughs> you know, we got a lot going on. Right. Uh, we both work a lot. Uh, I, have, I have a kid we got things in our lives, and we try to do the best we can within our scenarios. But I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to train with Al. And what I was working on on that particular day was cleaning up my muscle-up. You know, I train outside a lot. When you train outside an exercise like muscle-up, it is great that there's no ceiling above your head, and you can really harness your explosive energy and just aim as high as possible. However, I live in New York City, and it gets pretty brick cold during the winter months, and I had been training inside with a low ceiling, and my technique had changed. So when I had the opportunity to train with Al a few weeks ago, he coached me on my muscle-ups, and I swear, 
in in 20 minutes, my muscle ups got better. They were back to where they were before the winter came because I had that set of external eyes, of Al's eyes, to look at me and say, okay, keep that leg straight, bring the bar lower, bring your elbow above your wrist, and all the amazing coaching techniques that Al does with other people. You know what? They worked on me too. So we do help each other out. Nice. Now, you just mentioned something about training outside and if you don't mind me just asking, do you see a, a benefit? Do you have a preference of training outside or indoors? I, I prefer to train outside whenever possible. Sometimes, like Danny said, you know, in, in the really cold days of winter, it's not always practical. And if it's raining out, then that sometimes can put a damper on things. But if I have my druthers, I will always train outside. What, what do you think the benefit of that is? I'm just, we've never, I've never asked that question. I'm just curious if you see any kind of clear. Yeah, no, I, I have a lot of outside. reasons. Okay. The first thing is is what Danny said. A lot of the moves that we're working on, if you're doing something on a high bar where you're trying to get explosive and you are inside and and the ceiling is not really far away, it can psychologically affect your ability to generate as much force. But beyond that, I I just love breathing the fresh air and feeling the sun on my skin. And I like the people at the park. It's a little bit of a different crowd than you encounter at most gyms. You know, at a lot of gyms, a lot of people are there – to look in the mirror and look around and strut their stuff. At the park, people are there just to work out, yeah. and, and I like that. Do you guys – You know, I, you guys, I just want to add to that as far yeah. as training outside goes, which, which I enjoy as well. We spend so much time culturally and in our society detaching ourselves from our environment. Right. It feels good with the sun <laughs> on your skin. Yeah. It feels good with the snow on your skin. It's good to be outside. You know, so many people spend so much time in in low ceilings, under fluorescent lights, in artificial lighting. They're driving in a car with controlled climate. When it's hot outside, they're making it cold in the car. When it's cold outside, they're making it hot in the car. And there's certain beauty and purity to just being yourself within your environment. My son and I, we we go to the beach in the wintertime. You know, we just want to feel what the world has and not shroud ourselves from it under a, uh, under a fluorescent light, under walls and under artificial heat. It's, it's just good to be part of your environment. Yeah. Yeah. That's great perspective. You know, like I said, we've never really talked about that, but I think it's a really interesting topic, you know, outdoor training and the benefits that that has to offer. And, uh, you know, I, I train, out of my, my home garage, but I will take a kettlebell to the park or to the beach, like you mentioned, and it, it's a different thing. And it's uh, it's very cool. I should probably do it more often now that we're talking about it. So <laughs> right on. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about the new book. So the new book is, uh, is get strong and tell, tell us how this is different from your previous work. You guys have a lot of books between the both of you in the area of calisthenics. How is this book different and how's it maybe fill the gaps in your previous work? You know, like you said, Scott, Danny and I do have a lot of other books. And if you're familiar with our previous work, a lot of the stuff in those books, we present progressions, we present concepts, but we've never until this book given a detailed program. And that's what sets this one apart. And that's what people have asked us for for years is people, the one criticism I've gotten of my book is can you give us a little bit more specific programming? Now, I thought in the beginning, oh, this will be great. I'll empower people, show them how to design a program for themselves. But a lot of people say, look, we don't want to have to do all that thinking. We just want to know. This is how many reps on this day. This is the exercises. This is the order of them. So we laid everything out in this book as clearly and simply 
and matter-of-factly as we possibly could. And the response to it has been very positive so far. It's true. This is the first book that we've done that's contained a detailed, actionable 16-week training program that includes specific exercise sequences, exact sets and reps, specified time frames, warm-ups, and rest days. Whereas the other books had numerous progressions, numerous exercises, this is the one with the definitive program to build muscle and strength. I mean, you asked for it, you got it. That's what I'm telling everybody. <laughs> so 16 weeks, uh, what, what happens after 16 weeks? Is the program reproducible and maybe a little bit how, about how that would be progressed? Well, there's, there's two things to that. The first one is not everyone's necessarily going to finish the program in 16 weeks. And this is something that we discuss in the book okay, is absolutely. you may have, a, you know, an, an illness or an injury or something in your life that comes up that derails you. And that's OK. So if that happens, if it takes you 20 weeks or 28 weeks to complete the program, so be it. But there's a second part in the, in the book, Get Strong, that's called Stay Strong. And it has supplemental workouts. It has additional exercises that you can progress to beyond the ones in the program. And we have, like I said, we have other books. If you get through the Get Strong program and you want to delve deeper, our book, Street Workout, it's kind of like an encyclopedia of bodyweight exercises. So there's a whole bunch of other things in there for those people who complete the program and want to go beyond it. Someone's listening to this and they've, they've never read a book by either of you guys. What would be the book to start with? Definitely this one. Definitely Get Strong. Talk about the... The phases of training. So I'm looking at the, the table of contents here, and uh, I want to ask you about the warm-up specifically with not, uh, not knowing all the details about the warm-up, but the warm-up and the phases of training. So give us maybe an overview of, of what that looks like. Well, when you, when you train calisthenics, it's important to prepare your joints, your muscles, and your connective tissue before you embark on the strength training practices. So the warm-ups in the book are helpful for doing that. They fire up your nervous system, they fire up your joints, they fire up your muscles. So it helps prepare both the body and the mind for what is to come in the workouts. So these are some universal warm-up drills that will work your wrists, they'll stretch your hamstrings, they'll engage your core, they'll engage your full body, and just prepare you for getting into the more strength training aspect of itself. How long do you guys like to spend on the warm-up? I'm going to dig into this a little bit more. Well, you know, the, the whole point of this program is minimalism and the most direct path. Something Danny and I talk about a lot is how more complicated doesn't necessarily mean better. And there are a lot of very complicated programs. So we wanted to give people the most stripped down, most universal program possible. Right. That being said, there's no reason that this warm-up has to take more than about five minutes. Now, if you mm -hmm. want to make it longer, if you have the time and the inclination to do that, you know, we're all for people modifying and extending the program as they see fit. But I think five minutes is an adequate amount of time. Do you guys like to do the, the same warm-up uh, each time, or do you, do you vary what you're doing based on what you're doing in the training session? This program has a full-body warm-up that you do before every workout. But there are times in my training where I might do something a little bit more specific to what I'm doing that day. Like, like we were saying, we wanted this book to be as universally streamlined as possible. So we wanted something that pretty much everybody and anybody could jump in and do. And we didn't want it to be too specific or too skill-based as sometimes 
uh, things can get in the in the calisthenics world. And and on the note of is it the same warm up every time? Is it the same exercise every time? Al and I are both big believers in improvising. So even when you're sticking to a template all the time, whether it goes for your fitness or for your life, it's important to embrace what's actually happening in the moment and to address it in your actions. So if I have a standard warm-up that I do, but one day my hamstrings are a little tighter than others or it takes me a little longer to get a certain muscle group engaged, I'll address that, I'll acknowledge it, and I will make changes. A lot of people are terrified to improvise in anything in their life. And it's okay to acknowledge things and deviate from a specific program as the experience in front of you might dictate you to do so. So it is really applying the, uh, really the, the principle of individual differences and uh, tweaking things, adjusting things as necessary based on the individual. So now, something, any template, go ahead. Yeah. Something that, that we talk about a lot is how everything is always happening for the first time and for the only time. So even if you did the same warm-up yesterday, it's going to be different today because other things are different today. The amount of rest you had, you know, the, the weather. If you're training outside, obviously that's going to be more of a factor. So don't think that it's going to be the same every time just because it looks the same on paper. There's a quote that we actually reference in the book, Get Strong, and that quote is, no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. <laughs> and what that means is that you're always you, and it's always the present, and everything you're experiencing is happening right now. Guys, how do you think that the, the lack of a warm-up would contribute to injury specific to calisthenic training? You understand well, what I'm saying? So, so if, if you just blow off a warm up and you get right to your training, how much of, of a factor is that in increasing your chances for an injury? It, it depends a lot on the individual and it depends a lot on what the thing that you jump right into without being warmed up is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for one person, something that might be a very intense workout could be a warm up. You know, I can do pull-ups as a warm-up, but I have clients who we have to build up to that because they can't just jump right in and do that. You know, uh, at the other side of the spectrum, when you've really, uh, you know, mastered something, you, you don't need to warm up as much to do it. You can just dive right in. So I wouldn't want to tell people, oh, it's dangerous not to warm up. You're going to hurt yourself. But it's certainly a good, safe practice to warm up. You know, the, the absence of a warm up doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get harmed, but doing a warm up makes it much less likely that you will. Talk about how the, uh, how the program has progressed. Well, the program has progressed in several different ways. You know, we talked about a way of making these exercises more challenging. We spoke about technical progression earlier, but other ways of progressing within the realm of calisthenics are doing more difficult exercises, changing how how much weight is delegated to a limb during an exercise, or changing your sets or your reps or things like that. So throughout the phases of the Get Strong program, we introduce harder exercises. If we're starting phase one of Get Strong – and we're doing, let's say, a flex hang on the pull-up bar, 
Well, later on within the program, we're doing full pull-ups. If we're doing assisted squats where we're sitting down and standing up off an object, well, later on in the program, we're doing more advanced versions of it. So there's many ways you could progress beyond the technical tightening. You could do harder exercises. You could do asymmetrical exercises. And of course, you could do more reps. And these are all ways of progressing within any modality or exercise. The Get Strong program has four phases to it. And within each phase, harder variations are introduced. And then within that context, each week, the reps are increased. The total volume is increased. And the, the work capacity is increased. You know, so we're talking about um, kind of progressions here. And I'm just curious, again, without knowing all the specifics behind the, the book and the program right now, but is there an is there a upper end of repetitions that um, you would cap out at? So let's say push-ups, like you know, 20 reps, 50 reps, what, when would you, when would you hit an upper end of repetitions where you need to go to another level exercise to progress? You know, this is, this is a complicated question and it's a question that I would love to answer in a very simple way, <laughs> but sadly I can't. You know, there's a lot of talk out there. Well, if okay. you do more than 30 pushups, you're just working on muscular endurance, but not strength. And I, I don't really agree with that. Yes, I feel that certain exercises, once you have a certain baseline and strength, they get more limited and you must advance the exercise in order to reap more from your performance. But anyone who says that push-ups is just an endurance exercise after a certain amount of reps, I challenge them to do 100 push-ups and tell me that that is not a strength exercise no matter what. Yeah. So it, it's, it's complicated. It's not as simple as things are oftentimes perpetrated to be. And this is one of the things that just exists in the world in which we live. You know, we yeah. live in a we live in a, a meme culture. We live in a hashtag culture. <laughs> we live in a this is this. This is that. Here's an image of one thing. That means everything. Here's an image of that thing. That means everything. And it's a very polarized distinctions that we make. But the truth is things are not always so black and white. Yeah. Yeah, the, the guy who's doing one-arm pull-ups can almost definitely rep out 25 or more two-arm pull-ups. Dead and hang, two-arm, dead hang slow if he's doing one-arm pull-ups, for sure. Yeah, the, 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 the two things are not on opposite ends of the spectrum, necessarily. And you, you're right, uh, Danny. I mean, I think there is a, it is kind of complicated, and there is some conflicting, even science out there, about rep ranges and things and what what induces strength and hypertrophy. And it, it, it really is tough to answer with muscle building specifically. What do you guys, what would be your response to, you know, can you truly build muscle mass with body weight only training? How, how Absolutely. But here's the thing. Your muscles don't really know if the resistance is coming from an external weight or just from gravity. They know that they're having to exert force against resistance so whether that comes in the form of a bench press or a push-up, it doesn't really make a difference to your pecs. If they get stimulated, if they get pushed to that threshold point, the muscle gets torn down, it's given proper rest, proper nutrition, it's going to come back stronger. So I, I really don't think that the modality matters as much as the intensity. Is there a key to maximizing muscle, specifically with calisthenic training? I mean, is there a, 
a variable or a method that you've found successful most of the time? Well, obviously the stuff in the Get Strong book is what we found to be the most effective. Now, beyond that, you know, individual genetics is going to play a factor. And that's something that fitness professionals don't always like to acknowledge. You know, you see this thing, oh, this is the rocks workout. And just because you do the rocks workout doesn't mean you're going to look like the rock. So that's something that we talk about in the book also is embracing you and trying to be a buffer, stronger version of yourself and not necessarily saying, I want to look like this guy or I want to have this guy's pecs or whatever. Just it's all an individual growth thing. Could the, could the get strong program be implemented in, into another strength athletes program? So what I'm asking is, let's say if there's a, someone that's doing a a three day uh, barbell powerlifting program, would they also be able to incorporate this into that? Or is this strictly a standalone program? Well, they could incorporate that, but if someone is doing a barbell lift program or a barbell lift competition, they should work on barbell lifts. Right. You know, there's a, a specificity in any specific discipline. So whereas calisthenics are amazing for building strength, for building size, for building skill, for everything to be healthy. If you want to get better at a barbell lift, you will have to practice with the barbell. It's the same way if I want to get better at baseball, I shouldn't practice football to do so. So if you're, if you're training for a barbell lifting type of competitive thing, then you should work on your barbells because there's specificity to things. For right. overall strength, for overall skill, for overall hypertrophy, you could absolutely do it all with body weight. But if you want to get better at picking up a barbell, you pick up the barbell. Okay. I mean, you, you could create a hybrid program. I mean, what I love about the Get Strong program is that for people who want a program that they can follow exactly to the letter and not have to really think about any of the programming details themselves, it provides that. But for people who want to use it for reference and take parts of it right. and apply them in other ways, that's cool too. You know, one of my favorite quotes is the Bruce Lee quote. Absorb what is useful, discard what isn't, and add what is uniquely your own. I love that. So if someone wants to incorporate some of our exercises into their barbell program, that's great. There's 100%. No that the two things have to be at odds with each other. But the Get Strong program is absolutely a standalone program on its own. That You don't need to lift weights and you can get really strong doing it. Got it. Talk about the maybe the, the time demands of the program. And what I mean is days per week time per day? What, what does that look like if someone is specifically focusing on this program? It starts out with three days a week of training, and then it adds a fourth day uh, halfway through. And the workouts typically shouldn't take more than about 50 minutes, depending on you know your fitness level and how much recovery you need. Some people will get it done a little faster, but generally I think these workouts take about 40 or 50 minutes. So it's, it's not a huge time commitment to do that three or four days a week. What do you guys recommend on, on the off days? Is there anything that uh, you, you typically like to have people do that are doing a program like this on their recovery days or off days? Here's the thing about recovery days. A lot of people have it in their mind that it's a recovery day. It's a rest day. I'm just going to sit on the couch all day. And that's really not what a recovery day should be. Right. To me, a recovery day, yeah, if your shoulders are sore as 
they can possibly be, then don't do anything on your shoulders. But a recovery day, you could absolutely go for a run. You could go for a bike ride. You could do some stretching. You could take a yoga class. You could play a basketball game with your homies. You could do whatever you want. So I believe in active recovery. You know, I, I, I don't believe that the human body is necessarily meant to sit down all day unless it's just completely exhausted. And the point of this program is, we, yeah, we have three days or perhaps four days of strength training. But on those other days, we, we encourage you to go for that bike ride or go for that run. Absolutely. It's important to be active, not just for the Get Strong program, but for your overall health and well-being. Yeah, I really like the idea of the, the active recovery days as well. Kind of keep moving at a lower level. Absolutely. Look, if I do leg day and my legs are shot, then maybe I'm not going to start doing lunges and pistol squats on the next day. But I could certainly move around. I could certainly be active and not necessarily just be like, hey, man, I worked out yesterday. Today I'm eating Ben and Jerry's and sitting on the couch all day. That's probably not the best approach to overall fitness right. in general. <laughs> When my legs are sore, I want to go for a walk and get some blood flow into them at a, at a low intensity. They usually feel better afterwards. Absolutely. So it speeds recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And just to bring it back to the, the Get Strong book, Al mentioned when his legs are sore and he wants to go for a walk, there's a chapter that he wrote in this book called I'm Walking Here, and it's about the benefits of walking. You know, we've been talking about the Get Strong program. We've been talking about part two of the book, stay strong, but there's a whole bonus section, part three of this book, which is a compilation of 10 of the best pros and articles that Al and I have ever written in our careers, including the walking article, including articles about recovery, including articles about nutrition, including a very wide span of what we have to say in the overall realm of fitness even beyond the program and that's a whole a whole part of this book as well yeah so there were a couple things that stood out to me that i wanted to ask you about one of them was the calisthenics body talk about that what is the calisthenics body the calisthenics body was based on an article that i had written for bodybuilding.com several years ago and this article actually became my most popular article to date you know there's a lot of talk about functional training and what makes you pound for pound strong and what our fitness goals may be. But I challenged the face of conventional wisdom. And I said, you know what? Something that draws people to the body weight training, to the calisthenics, is the attraction to the calisthenics body. And the calisthenics body is the physique that overlaps between all these different practitioners. You could identify it. I mean, calisthenics body, there's a certain strength to pound ratio, no gratuitous body fat. You know, there's a certain look to the abs, to the serratus. You know, so much of the ab work we do in calisthenics, the, the hanging knee raises and the bar abs is done on a pull-up bar. And that changes the appearance from your basic up or your basic crunch to incorporate more muscles in the torso. The calisthenic arms, that unmistakable horseshoe-shaped tricep and that <laughs> oversized baseball bicep, that's yeah. a signature sign of the calisthenics body. That pronounced peak is what happens when you do pull-ups, 
when you do narrow push-ups. And there's no real machine-based isolation style exercise that hits the body in the same way the calisthenics do. So when I wrote that article, when I envisioned the calisthenics body, it was just to say, hey, hey, this is something that people are striving for, and it's a different physique than, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I grew up in, in 80s Brooklyn. You know, Lou Ferrigno was the local hero. Everything was bodybuilding, <laughs> bodybuilding, bodybuilding. But yeah. now I feel like for young men, for young people, there's a different type of body type that is something that we strive for beyond the bodybuilder body. And that's what I'm talking about with the calisthenics body. You know, just to add to that, in weight training and, and you know, powerlifting and, and some of these other disciplines, there's so much emphasis on just getting as much mass as possible. And when you do calisthenics, at a certain point, having too much mass actually weighs you down and is going to make you less able to perform better. Now, obviously, if that mass is coming from fat, then that is going to be exponentially so the case. So the calisthenics body is finding that perfect harmony between mass and functional mass. And, and that results in that lean, toned physique that is quite different from the physique of a, of a bodybuilder or power lifter. Yeah, yeah. Good, good description. And, you know, when I think of a, a calisthenics body, I think it, it's along the lines of like a gymnast, a gymnastics athlete. You know, yes. it's, it's everything that you guys just described. So it is, it's very interesting. And it is, a, it's a different, it's much different from the bodybuilder, from the power lifter. Another thing in that uh, bonus section was the, the healing powers, and it kind of goes back to, um, we talked a little bit about this, but kind of preventing injury. So what has been both of your experience in, uh, in seeing injuries with calisthenic training? Is it, is it uncommon? You could get injured doing anything. So I don't generally promote you know, the fear mongering of, oh, oh, if you do this, you're going to get injured. Oh, there's a high chance of harming yourself if you do this. The bottom line is this. If you exercise and if you work out, you have a much less chance of getting injured than if you don't work out. And the Healing Powers article was really based on something I had read in a, a very popular source that spoke so much about potential training injuries that have almost discouraged exercise. And my job is to encourage exercise. And the truth is, you could get hurt doing anything. I could get hurt, fall off my bicycle. Does that mean riding a bicycle is bad for me? You know, a plane can crash, but flying in a plane is still the safest way to travel from a statistical perspective. And yes, you can get hurt working out, but working out is a very, very healthful thing to do that will ultimately prevent injury in the long run. And, you know, sure, it would be great if we all had healing powers. <laughs> but the truth is, when we work on our own strength and our own physique and our own powers within ourselves, then the chance of us getting hurt are a lot lesser than if we didn't do it. What would be some to, of the... To add to that, yeah, you know, yeah. just something that's so cool about calisthenics, too, is it's self-limiting to a certain degree. So yes. if there's a move that's really hard, you're not going to hurt yourself doing it because you're just not going to be able to do it. So it's not like if you try to bench press a weight that's way too heavy and you get stuck under the bar. There's, there's not that risk. The, you know, the worst that'll happen if you try to do a pistol squat and you can't, 
is you'll just fall on your butt and you'll be a little embarrassed, but you're not going to get crushed under a barbell. What, what would be, that's a really good point. Now, what would be the, the essentials, the fundamentals to really have a resilient body, a really bulletproof kind of, um, you know, body that is going to be injured, almost injury resistant. What would be the, 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 the absolute minimums that people should be able to do? Well, I think, uh, I think 10 pull-ups is a very good foundation. I think 30 push-ups is a very good foundation. Maybe uh, 40 or so body weight squats. You know, just to establish, like you said, that the joints are safe, that there's a baseline of strength. And then, you know, beyond that, you know, it's take it however far you can, you know? Yeah. When we do our progressive calisthenics certification, which is – in my opinion, the first, well, that's not opinion. That's a fact. It's a fact that it's the first calisthenic certification ever. And in my opinion, it's the best calisthenic certification ever. We do something called the PCC progressive calisthenic certification. It's a three day course. And we cover so much material from push-ups to pull-ups to muscle ups to human flag and beyond. But we do have a test at the end of that. And it's called the century test. And that century test is a hundred reps. It's 40 squats, 30 push-ups, 20 hanging knee raises, 10 pull-ups in that order, each set performed unbroken. And the reason we came up with that test is because we believe that is a solid baseline in your calisthenics training. So it's no happy accident. These are numbers that make sense. And Al and I have had the privilege of training hundreds, thousands of people all over the world in this specific discipline. And these are the numbers that we really feel establish what you're asking. So the push-up, the pull-up, the, the body weight squat, are these exercises, in your opinion, are, are they technical? Are there, are there technical components to each of these, these exercises? Absolutely. But I'd say they're fairly low skill in the grand scheme of things. When I work with a beginner client, a lot of the time, it does take quite a bit of cueing and coaching to get them to perform a proper bodyweight squat. But it's not the same amount of skill required to learn a freestanding handstand or something like that. It's certainly within the capabilities of any able-bodied person to do a pull-up, a push-up, and a squat. Some of the more advanced moves maybe aren't going to be as attainable for everybody. But those basics, there's no reason we can't all do them and, and do them well. What do, you, mm-hmm. what do you guys look for in those three? I wonder if you could just give an example of something that, that has to be there in a push-up, in a pull-up, in a bodyweight squat. Well, for all three, the biggest mistake I see people making is not using a full range of motion. And it seems pretty obvious, but man, people shortchange those squats all the time. They half-rep on their push-ups. They half-rep on their pull-ups. And a lot of the time, people don't even know that they're doing it until you tell them and show them. I can't tell you how many clients I've had over the years who were doing half pull-ups who until I stood there and said, go all the way down, they were like, oh, wow, I thought I was going all the way down. Right. Even something simple like a squat, you know, people need to get their butt low down to the ground. But when they stand up, they need to fully extend at the hip. That's the full range of motion. I've seen it work both ways. People don't go down low enough. And then I've seen people not come high enough. Same thing on the pull-up. Some people do a pull-up where they don't actually bring their chin over the bar. Other people do a pull-up 
where they don't actually go to a full extension at the elbow. And like Al said, that full range of motion is where people shortchange the exercise. But in reality, they're not just shortchanging the exercise, they're shortchanging themselves because they're getting less yield. They're getting less benefit out of every single rep of every single set that they perform. And it's a shame. How about the stability, specifically spinal stability, both in the push-up and pull-up? How, how important is that? Well, you really have to get comfortable being static before being dynamic. Right. So I recommend people be able to do a solid plank with their arms fully extended before they can really do a push-up. You know, a lot of what you see on a push-up is people either piking very high at the hip or the opposite, letting their hips drop very low and hyperextending their back. And they really have to be able to do a very, very nice active plank with their alignment proper and their elbows extended. And then they'll get a lot more from the push-up and for the pull-up for that matter. I think someone gets the most yield from doing a pull-up from an active body position with a straight leg with the abs and the core engaged when they do that pull-up. Now, it might be a little bit harder. Sure, it's probably easier to do a pull-up where you're swinging all over the place, exploding left and right, and maybe you could pop out a few more sloppy reps that way. But if your goal is not to get the max reps, but your goal is to get the max yield from the reps that you perform, then doing drills like planks or a hollow body drill these are things that can help you get the neurolog- neurological perspective for doing either of those exercises. So it's all about taking the proper regressions if someone doesn't have the appropriate stability with a push-up or, or pull-up. You want to milk the beginning steps, yeah. you know? Yeah. And this is another thing that, you know, is a great thing. I love the technology we have in this world. I love that I can have a Skype call with you right now and not leave my home. <laughs> but, you know, we, we yeah. watch things on YouTube and we watch things on the internet and we see memes on Facebook and we see all these things and it's advance, advance, advance. But we really do have to have respect for the beginning steps. Yes. I mean, Al and I are lucky that we're so damn old. Because I never saw a muscle up till I was 31 years old and I had already been working out for almost 20 years. So I already had a solid foundation on pull-ups, on push-ups, on dips, on squats, on lunges, on the basics before I ever saw a muscle up or a human flag. Whereas if I was 13 years old right now instead of uh, a thousand like I am, (laughs) then maybe I would just see a muscle up on YouTube and be like, I have to go for that. And look, there's nothing wrong with trying stuff out of your skill set. But the foundation and the basics, the respect for the fundamentals is really a crucial element in exceeding those basics. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. (laughs) I'm glad you said that. That's that's why our program starts out with things like planks and bar hangs before it gets into push-ups and pull-ups. Did you guys work out today? I did not work out today, Scott. Okay. So, well – but where I'm going with this is give, give the audience an, an example of if you're training tomorrow or, or your yesterday's session, what, what did that look like for, for each of you guys? I'll let Danny go first. <laughs> well, I did work out yesterday, All and right. this is what I did. I'm very, very simple. I like to keep things simple. I picked two exercises that I really liked. I did a push and a pull, and I did 10 sets of 10 reps. I did 10 pull-ups. 
and I did 10 handstand push-ups against a wall. Super sad. 10 pull-ups, 10 handstand push-ups against a wall. I did that 10 times. That was my workout yesterday. I did 100 reps of each. It was two exercises. It was all I could handle physically, but it was also all I could handle mentally. And that was my workout <laughs> yesterday. Push and pull, two exercises, uncomplicated. Danny, let me ask you this. How, how do you like to approach leg training for like a hard leg strength training day? How would you approach that? Well, when I do a hard leg training day, like we talked about earlier, I start with the basics. Yep. So generally what I would do is I would warm up with body weight squats, you know, and I like doing 40, like we talked about earlier. And then within the same workout, I would gradually progress from doing body weight squats to doing split squats or lunges. And then I would do some side to side or archer squats where it's an asymmetrical squat leading with one leg, assisting with the other. And then I would move on to sets of pistol squats. And when I do pistol squats, and this is a hard leg day, because that's yeah. what you asked me for. Right, yep. When I do a hard leg day, when I do pistol squats, sometimes what I'll do is I'll pick a specific number of squats that I seek to do on each leg. And I'll be honest with you, Scott, and I'll be honest with your audience. My right leg is stronger than my left leg. So I can do sets of 10 pistol squats on my right leg, but I can't do sets of 10 pistol squats on my left leg. So what I might do on a day like that is do three sets of 10 on my right leg for pistol squats and six sets of five on my left leg for pistol squats or five sets of six if I'm having a strong day. This way I could train them evenly without neglecting my stronger leg. Does that make sense? Got it. Yep. Yep. No, just to, uh, give you my take on this. First thing I want to say is I didn't work out today, which is very unusual for me. I do not take a lot of days off from training. I did have a particularly busy day today. I had a lot of clients earlier. We've got this now and I've been working out pretty hard all week. So I did decide to give myself a rest day, but you know, like we talked about before, I've been pretty active. I walked around the city a bit. I ran some errands. I trained some people, but typically my personal training is different than, well, my personal training, if you will. The way that I train my clients is different than the way that I train myself. My workouts tend to have a little bit less structure than my clients' workouts. And that's partially because I've been doing it for so long that I know how to improvise and I know what my body needs on any given day. So I might have, like we talked about before, a bit of a plan but as I get moving, I might feel something, something might come up in the, move, in the moment, and I might decide to change my game plan a little bit. That's interesting. You know, it's funny about changing the game plan, because you asked me, Scott, specifically about what my workout was yesterday, and today is a Friday as we're recording this podcast. Yesterday was Thursday. On Tuesday, if you had asked me what my workout was, it was completely different. I just told you about a workout I did Thursday that was 10 structured sets of 10 for two different opposing muscle groups. But if, you, if we had done this interview on Wednesday instead of Friday and you asked me about Tuesday instead of Thursday, my answer <laughs> would have been like, yeah, I did a bunch of muscle ups. I tried some human flag. I worked on some front lever and some back lever. And it would have had no set and rep templates. It would yeah. have just been a lot more improvisational. And I think that's really important to, to talk about because it's not so black and white. It's not that sets and reps is great and improvising is bad. And it's not that improvising is great and sets and reps are bad. My training template could change from workout to workout. It could change from week to week. 
Some weeks I might do a split routine. Some weeks I might do upper body, lower body, upper body, lower body because I'm doing four days in a row. Other weeks, depending on what my schedule and life dictate, maybe I'll do three workouts that are all full body. Other days I might do some workouts that are completely improvised where I'm just working on strength slash skill. I'm working on muscle up and flag and not doing any real sets and reps, but just progressing. And I think that as important as it is to have a template, which it is important, it's also important to get the work in and deviate from it when necessary because every day is different. And the bottom line is the thing that gets results. Two things. It's consistency and it's intensity. And if you're working out consistently and intensely, you will get results. And that brings us back to the Get Strong program. It provides accountability with the consistency and with the intensity. And that's really what we're seeking when we seek a strength training program. You know, something, Scott, that we had mentioned at the beginning of this was that in a lot of our previous books, we did talk more about what you could call this intuitive style of training that Danny and I were just discussing. Right. And the reaction to that from a lot of our readers was, well, this is great, but can you just give me a freaking program? So that's <laughs> how we get strong. Right. We did a dozen books trying to say, look, here are some exercises, explore them. And people said, no, we want a program. So yeah. we're giving them what they want. Excellent. I got a couple more questions for you and then we'll, we'll pull this together. What, what do you, well, I think you just really answered. My question was going to be, you know, what do you hope that people get out of this book? And I, I think that the answer is that it is a, a structure, it is a system, it's a program that people can follow. Scott, I, I hope they get strong. That's what I hope they get out of this book. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, so where do you want people to go to find you guys, connect online, social media, all that kind of stuff? I've got a, a website that's just my name, alcavadlo.com. Danny's got his website. It's Danny the Trainer is the address, right? It's dannythetrainer.com, but if you go to dannycavadlo.com, it's going to direct you to dannythetrainer.com. You can connect with Al on Facebook at Al Cavadlo. You can connect with me on Facebook at Danny Cavadlo. I got to get on Instagram. I'm like living in the 90s over here. But Al, what's your Instagram? <laughs> I, I'm Al Cavadlo on Instagram. Excellent. I'll uh, attach links for all this in the show notes, of course. What uh, I, I do want to ask you what the, and I have a feeling you, I know the answer to this, but what is the book that you guys are most proud of to this point? The, the newest one, Get Strong. <laughs> I, I think the more of these I'm that we do, the better we get at it. It's, you know, it yeah. goes back to that technical progression we talked about. Yep. You know, you write one book, you want to get better, you write another one. You, you learn a lot through doing. And there's a, there's a lot of things in our other books that we're able to say clearer and in a more accessible way this time. And also a lot of new information that we uh, that we're able to provide people in this one too. This book, Get Strong, is so full of information and it's just laid out in such a succinct and accessible way that to say it's 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 the best one or the one that people should get started with is really understating the evolution of what we've done as writers and presenters and trainers and fitness practitioners because this is this is the the zenith over here but it did take the other 10 books to get here so i would encourage anyone who loves this book to go back and check out the old ones because those all led us to this step and it's like we said technical progression over time we get better excellent yeah whether it's doing a pull up or writing a book 
Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> you get better the more you do it. Absolutely. Right. Every writing a book yes. about doing pull-ups. <laughs> uh, so we're talking about strength here, and I'm curious when you when you think of strength, who comes to mind for each of you? Who pops in your Who popped in your head right now when I asked that question? A, a lot of people. You know, I, I, it, questions like that are always tricky because. <laughs> right. There's, there's no, there's no one person that comes to mind. And you know, if, it, if I say me and Danny popped into my head, then I just sound like a complete egomaniac, right? <laughs> right. It is a hard question. It's probably a question that, uh, you hate being asked, but, uh, well, I'll tell you who popped into my head. Uh, you know, I having a barbecue on Sunday and I invited a lot of close friends and family members. And I got a good friend named Jack Arno who's 73 years old and this dude could still do a muscle up. And this dude, if he took his shirt off and covered his face, he would look like he was 28 years old. And he came into mind when I thought of strength, not just because he's 73 years old and he could still do a muscle up, but because he, 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 he stands true to his beliefs. He's a dad and he takes action in his kids' lives and he takes part in being an active member of his community. And, you know, strength really goes beyond the physical. Yes. It goes on to being a good person. It goes on to taking accountability. It goes on to if you're walking down your neighborhood and you see a piece of trash on the floor and you pick it up and you throw it in the garbage because that makes the world a better place. And I love doing pull-ups and I take pride on the amount of pull-ups I can do. But the truth is being strong means being strong not just for yourself, for the people around you and for your environment around you and the people in your neighborhood. Phenomenal. I love it. I'm, I'm glad I did ask that question because I think that is, that's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with Danny's answer on that one. <laughs> and me and Al. We're really strong too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of my standard questions, I, I haven't asked this in a little while on the show though as I wrap up uh, these interviews is, what's the book that you recommend the most to others um, for each of you guys, and it doesn't have to be a book that's related to strength in any way. What, just what is a book that you could recommend that could that could help a listener? You know, one of my all-time favorite books is a book by a guy named Alan Watts, and it's called The Book. And it's a book about life, and it's it's kind of a Western take on the whole Zen thing. And uh, that's not something we really got into too much, but that's that's a, a big interest of mine and. The way that Danny and I train people is heavily influenced by uh, the, the Zen style of, of teaching and learning. So I would, I would recommend that book or, or any book by Alan Watts. It's one of my favorite writers. Fantastic. Is it, if you don't mind me asking, is that a, a heavy read or a light read? How do you? It's do you... fairly short. I mean, it's heavy in that it's about some heavy stuff. Okay. But it's, it's a relatively quick read. Okay, cool. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Danny, you have anything? You know, I, I just read this book. It was a bestseller in the 70s. It's called The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. And it's, it's a biology book. Like, it's not a strength training book. It's not a Buddhism book. It's not a self-help book. It's a biology book about who we are as a species and how the species came to evolve in the world. And it really talked about the preservation, not in any other way that than in a DNA level, but in doing so, it really gave a lot of insight to life as we know it and makes me think about survival and, and, and things about our life. So 
The Selfish Gene. It's an old, old, old book by Richard Dawkins, but I just read it for the first time, and and it, it I, I maybe want to be a biologist. I don't wow. know what to say, but it had a big effect wow. on me. Wow, nice. Well, that sounds very interesting. I'll look into both of these books as I'm a total book fanatic here. So, thank you for sharing that. So, the final question, guys, as I always ask, is what is the number one takeaway action for the audience? What's something that everybody can use and apply in their training or in their life after hearing this? Work hard with consistency and intensity and be accountable for yourself. Keep the dream alive. Yeah, you know, practice, practice, practice and, and get strong and get the book if you want to know more. Guys, this is great. Uh, I learned a lot and uh, great insight. Um, I'm excited about your book. It sounds like it's the best one yet and I wish you great success. Uh, thank thank you. you for sharing all your knowledge in this session today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. So one of the great things about this show, guys, that I really enjoy is the variety of guests and topics to come on the show. Now, as I mentioned, calisthenics is not necessarily my wheelhouse. It's something that I incorporate into my training, but my passion really has to do with weightlifting, powerlifting, and kettlebell training. But I really appreciate the variety and the insights on all the different topics that we have and certainly, Danny and Al are experts in the area of calisthenics training. So uh, I hope that you got a lot of value out of this one and enjoyed it as much as I did. So that's a wrap for this week, guys. Again, if you're not part of the Ardella Training community, make sure to go to ardellatraining.com forward slash join. You'll find some free resources there right now. And I've got a great new resource on the way. And you will get that very soon as soon as it's available. And uh, lots of stuff I'm working on, guys. That's why it's been kind of quiet recently, but I hope to have some announcements soon. So stay tuned and I'm working as fast as I can to have some exciting things coming your way. That's a wrap for this week and I'll see you next week on the podcast. Thank you for listening and uh, take care. <laughs>